Hello and happy Sunday, 27th of November. It's really nearly Christmas. I can't remember which shop I went into, but I went in one yesterday and it the Christmas songs were on. It's happening, isn't it? And I'm not against it either. I think maybe growing up Jewish and like just sort of like we never like didn't have a tree never like we didn't celebrate it really like went for christmas day at my grandparents that was about like as christiany as we did like I, i'm i'm so into it orange chocolate that's a very christmasy thing for me as well lou's got these like little dime you know dime bars little dime bars orange flavor very 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 nice carols are coming i haven't had a mulled wine yet haven't had a mince pie yet probably save that for december um but yeah, it's it's soon, and I'm pretty fine with that. Pretty fine with that. Um, over the course of this week, I've done a fair bit of stuff. It went back to back to normal, I guess, in terms of coaching schedule. Um, so Monday, client work. Um, Tuesday, I was in person. I was doing uh, the junior goalies at Cuffley, which was really really good. There's some there's some wicked kids there, which which is great. Um, and then it was the first team in the evening. We planned something around, uh, like looking at making sure that when we are out of possession, we're defending nice and narrow, which I think worked pretty well. And then Wednesday, I was on the goalie course, which I'm going to talk through in a fair bit of detail um, today. And then went off to do goal diggers in the evening. I was in with... Uh, in with one of our like newer coaches who has like come through the club as a player, and that's a really really fun like dynamic to explore. It, as like, so, I'm head of coaching as like a kind of from a coach development perspective. Um, yeah, I think we we're, we're going to get some really really good stuff done. We talked through like why we were doing what we're doing, how to make sure that we were getting the outcomes we wanted. But then even within the session plan, there was stuff that we didn't end up needing because we were getting the outcomes already. Like the kind of idea behind the session was to look at making sure we have pressure on the ball and then cover in the areas that we're like vacating as we, we go to apply pressure. Um, and one of the games we were going to look at was seeing if the defending team could defend in the top two thirds of the pitch we're going to put in like markers to to mark out the three thirds, but it was happening already, so we didn't put the markers in. I thought that was quite a that was a good example of where you've got to just see see what you're getting out. Just because you've got something planned doesn't mean that you have to use it. Um, so some really good conversations there. And then Thursday, I was down in uh, down at Ball in South East London. Uh, we're sort of supporting a supporting a session. It's it's I haven't done that for a while where like I've been the kind of support coach. Um it's a really, really fun role I think. Like you feel like you see so much when you're not actually the one like talking and delivering and, and, and managing the session. Um so there were I thought I managed to get some good opportunities to to, to speak to players individually and kind of consider how the f- consider the fact that I have been a lead coach with a lot of those players and have like a bit of an existing relationship with them, so I could use that to to talk to them pretty personally, which I thought which I thought was quite good. Um, yeah, that was Thursday night, and then Friday uh, client session client hit a, a big PB on the hex bar deadlift, so I was chuffed with that. Um, and then in the evening with the the goalies down at down at Palace, we did some. Well, I'll talk about that session um, in a bit more detail because that was the one I was able to like implement a fair bit of the stuff I did on the course. No game for the first team today, so I went and trained. And I do that a lot. Today's actually Saturday, not Sunday. Um, no game for the first team today, but went and trained and then tomorrow um, Luce hasn't got a game either so we're going to have a really nice day that's the plan um, I'm going to coach 11 till 12 of a group 
we're getting to the point where we're going to kind of most of my coaching tomorrow is going to be like during a game um, that they've got scheduled. So that'll be good. Um, I wanted to spend a fair bit of time thinking about this this stuff that we had on the national goalie course on Wednesday. Since Wednesday, I've kind of sent. Well, you have to send your feedback through kind of officially via the FA England Learning website. So I did that, but I also emailed one of the tutors and he asked for for my thoughts. So I sent some of that through to him as well. Um, and then yesterday, actually, down at down at Palace, Keith, who's the coach developer, I was telling him about the course and he asked what I thought of it. So I've had a bit of a... I've had multiple opportunities to, to reflect on it. Um, and I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was really, really good. The kind of context, I suppose, for, for, for me doing goalkeeper coaching um, is that so I did the goalkeeper the old goalkeeper level one course in like right at the start of 2020 January 2020 um, and it like completely changed the way that I thought about coaching um, and Yas who coached me on the outfield level two after I'd like expressed a bit of an interest in kind of position specific um, and goalkeeper specific coaching said just do the course and, and let, let me know what you think see how you find it and it was probably the best course I've ever done not only from like a content perspective like all the techniques and the way to coach the techniques and how to vary what you call certain types of saves or movements depending on the age group like all of that was fantastic but there was also loads of opportunity because it was over three days loads of opportunities to do practice design like run the practices and then get feedback from goalies, which was absolutely massive f for me. Um, because at that point I wasn't really coaching goalkeepers. I just thought that I might want to at some point. Um, so that was like a fantastic foundation for me from that position. Like I played in goal a little bit when I was younger, like 11, 12. Actually, fun fact, at primary school, we uh, played against uh, Emmanuel Frimpong when he was playing in midfield and he was I think when we were under we were under 11s year 6 he was playing for Arsenal under 13s or 14s like he was he was so good he was like he would absolutely control games anyway we beat them 4-2 and I was in goal and he didn't score past me and I remember very vividly making a pretty good foot save um, but that's basically the extent of my goalkeeping experience the coaching has come out of just seeing it as like an opportunity to be so creative with practice design and make sessions so much fun and just active. I think that's, and and you can obviously do that with outfield players and outfield practices, but with goalkeepers, because everyone, if you could, if you put on a practice where everyone can use their hands and their feet, which they can in a game, there is so much stuff that you can get within whatever topic you're looking at um anyway so i did the old level one and i was thinking right i've got to do the level two and then covid happened well sorry then the lockdowns happened the pandemic began um and the fa scrapped all the courses so there was no level two no level two courses for for a couple of years they then kind of rebranded the goalie level two as the ua for c but didn't run it so they were like that course didn't exist and then they've now rebranded the or repackaged I guess the content from the old level one and the goalkeeper UA for C into one course called the national goalkeeper course um, and I think if you hadn't done the old like if I hadn't done the old level one doing this course I'd have really really struggled because there is next to nothing on goalkeeping techniques which is fine if, if you're either a goalkeeper which a fair few of the learners on the course were or like me you've done the old course and you're coaching goalies so you've got a sense of those things anyway I think if you're coming into this course without either of those things you'd struggle um, predominantly because it's just one day so there isn't the space to, to kind of teach that side of things and there's an expectation that you've got that knowledge as well um, so I think that that's a potential kind of down downfall with the the new setup, the new system, or the new coaching development pathway, I suppose. Um, 
But other than that, like there was so much stuff that I've taken away from it. So I think probably those of you listening who are coaches would probably be fairly familiar with the kind of framework of having constant variable and random practices. Those of you who aren't coaches or maybe have been players or you're just like me, so you listen. Like the, the idea of a constant practice lends itself more to kind of technical repetitions. So for example, passes backwards and forwards, that's what we're gonna practice. Maybe we might chuck a turn in there, but basically the outcome that we want or the thing that we wanna practice is gonna happen constantly. We then got variable practices where a few different things could happen. So if we take that example of passing back and forth, maybe with a turn, I could pass the ball in and you could now either turn and play out the other side or you could maybe set the ball back to me and then I play out the other side and you go and collect it from the other side. So we've got more than one thing that could happen. We could maybe even say the player on the other side could jump into the middle as you're receiving the ball and we create like a 2v1. So we've got different things that could happen. We then got random practices which is where anything could happen kind of more like a game i suppose where like you're allowed to do whatever you want and whatever happens we're taking as an outcome that we're happy with so that's that kind of framework um on this course was introduced to the idea of announced unannounced and live so announced would be kind of in that sort of constant would map onto that kind of constant practice. Unannounced would map onto the variable practice, then live would be random practice. And I really like these headings, particularly for goalkeepers, because with announced, like that term to me implies that you're gonna tell the goalie the sort of thing that they're gonna expect, which if you're working with goalies whose priority is to develop like I am, and they need to get better at diving to their right, for example, I want them to get loads of practice diving to their right. So I'm gonna say to whoever's shooting or playing the ball in, you need to put the ball so that it goes to their right so that they can practice to their right. Or if they need to get better at catching the ball high in that sort of W shape, thumbs together, elbows out, I'm gonna to say to whoever's putting the ball in, like try and hit, but try and hit them in the face basically and they've got to try and catch it in front of their face so they know what's coming. Unannounced might be that we don't tell them where the ball's coming in, but they know that they're still facing a shot and it's gonna happen in that framework. They just don't know whether they're gonna have to uh, catch it in front of their face, catch it on the floor, catch it like in their, kind of that region between their uh, like hips and their shoulders, that sort of range. Or, okay, you're gonna be making a, a low diving save, but you don't know whether it's going to your left or your right, so you're gonna have to work on both. And then with live practices, you've basically got goalies that can do, they've got to do loads of different things and they've got to make a decision. And that's where the majority of coaching, I think for me at the moment is kind of, for the goalies is split between coaching the technique and coaching decisions. And you've kind of got these actions that need to happen and decisions that lead to the actions. Um, so I use quite a lot of live practices, particularly with um, with bigger groups because we can get loads of outcomes happening simultaneously without really needing to stop and interrupt um, and intervene. So I quite like games, for example, where goalies can use their hands and their feet. So we might set up a pitch, so you're gonna play a match. Everyone can use their hands and their feet. If you want to move with the ball, you've got to put it down and dribble. But if you put it down and dribble, someone can come and smother it because a goalie in a match can go and dive at a player's feet to, to grab the ball. So that sort of stuff. Um, really, really nice framework. Some other stuff I really liked um, was the idea of like ball side, centre and far side. So if you think about maybe a centre-back or a full-back's got the ball, can't play forwards, they're going to turn and play back to their goalie. Where we want the goalie to be in relation to the ball. So ball side would be past their post on the side of the ball, center would be like between their goalposts, far side would be outside the other post. And you'd encourage the player in possession of the ball to have a picture of where the goalie would be. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, I guess, a good, a good one for maybe someone who's not a goalie coach, but if you're thinking about looking at where the sorts of positions that goalies take up, um, that's a pretty good framework to have for, for your goalies. Um, the kind of main stuff I guess that 
I'm thinking about at the moment is about syllabus design and syllabus building, um, particularly in the context contexts that I'm working in where it's about development. Like Drew and I have chatted quite a lot about this, like winning versus development spectrum, and it came up, it's coming up quite a lot on my outfield B license. So the syllabus that I work to at the moment is handling, diving, 1v1s, crosses, distribution with hands, distribution with feet. So those are like the five things, six if you split hands and feet, that goalies do in a game. Those are therefore the things that we want to work on on a kind of six-week cycle. Um, from chatting to other goalie coaches, like you, you have different examples of different syllabuses at different clubs. So, for example, you could have shot stopping, 1v1s, crossing, distribution. Like those could be your four things. Diving gets incorporated into shot stopping. Handling gets incorporated into shot stopping. And then you have a recap week. And this is something that I am really, really keen to explore further. The Like how often should you recap with younger players because they're still developing, but also players who are, you know, adults who are who are in that kind of development um, development phase as well. Um, Josh Bednash recommended a book uh, called I think it's called Coach Like a Teacher, which I'm really really excited to read because um, I think that could have some some good stuff in there. Um, and this is where I've like reached out to the one of the tutors on the course to kind of hear about the different syllabuses. Like he's at Charlton. There was another. Uh, tutor there who was working for Portsmouth who's now about to go and work for West Ham and they've obviously got different ideas about how to to coach that as well um, particularly in relation to the kind of three areas that goalies should be working in the, the, their priority is to defend the goal they could and should also be thinking about defending the area and then from there they can think about defending the space so those three things should be kind of at the forefront of your goalkeeper's mind when they're playing. And then I guess wherever the ball is, whatever decision they feel like they're going to have to make, we can kind of break that down or look a little bit deeper, I guess, into all of the things that are going to help them get there. So if we think that like the, I guess, actions that goalkeepers take, so coming out to catch a cross, diving to tip a ball around the post, uh, passing short for a goal kick. All of those things involve a position, they involve movement, they involve stance, and they then involve action. Within that movement and stance um, kind of phase, or everything that happens between getting to where you're going to make the action, we've got the assessment and the decision. And that's where so much of what goalkeeping is takes place and pretty often you see goalkeepers I feel like you see goalkeepers criticised for uh, their decisions when actually we could probably be thinking that they haven't successfully completed the action as opposed to being in a in a bad position similarly like you could be in a terrible position but you could be so good at an action that you make up for it um, and I think this is this is really really important, particularly when you're coaching players whose priority is just to get better. It's not about winning games. Is like we want to try and find a balance between like outcomes, so coaching outcomes. So just because you catch the ball doesn't mean you've done it really really well, but you have kept it out the goal. So well done. But also process. Like if you think about how to make a save is probably the best, you know, the best case scenario would be you stand in the right place, your movement's good, the the stance you are in is good, and then you successfully execute an action and you keep the ball out. But you could also be in a great position, you could move well, your stance could be really good, but you your thumbs are too far apart and so the ball slips between them. You've still got to try and praise the position, the movement and the stance to begin with. The decision was probably correct to try and catch it, but you just didn't successfully catch it. Similarly, the if your position's bad to begin with, the movement, the stance and the action become more important. But just because you catch it 
doesn't mean that your position to begin with was good. So all that sort of stuff, I think, is really, really interesting. Um, and like a good kind of reference point for when that action is happening or when that action needs to happen is when there's contact with the ball. So if we think about making a save from a shot, your position, your movement and your stance have to be done. You have to be ready to make your action as the ball's being kicked. You can't still be moving, otherwise it's going to be really, really difficult for you to make a save. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I liked that. I took took quite a lot from that. There was also some little stuff um, that, that came up, which some little bits that came up that really got me thinking. Like on the old level one, if you think about a, a save, which you have to dive for but you don't have to push off the floor to make a save you kind of collapse onto the floor and the old level one it's called the like a collapsing save um there was a kind of little discussion around now calling it a sweep save where you kind of swipe your foot out the way so that you can sort of fall to the floor and stretch and make a save with your hands you're probably still going to lead with your hands because it's far or it's, it's far enough outside your body that you can't just stand still um, but you don't have to push off the floor and dive into the air to, to catch it. Um, so thinking about how to move your standing foot on the side that you're diving to out the way um, was quite interesting, particularly in the context of not getting injured. Like a lot of goalies, when they're learning how to do that, they kind of fall onto their knee or like basically their legs in the way under their body. And that's how they hurt themselves. So swiping that foot, if you're diving to your right, swiping your right foot out the way so you sort of hit the floor as opposed to falling onto yourself um also like the idea of having like parry gates so think about when a goalkeeper parries a ball you want to encourage them to not do that into an area where they might then have to make another save or worse would concede a goal so giving them like a goal to save the ball into um which is something i'm definitely going to try there was also an interesting question uh from one of the tutors which was how many how many of you have taught your goalkeeper how to head the ball or how how many of you have coached your goalkeeper to head the ball and kind of the pretty universal reaction to that was well we don't really coach heading and that's obviously a whole kind of separate discussion around concussions and all that sort of stuff but the like next clip that was then shown was a goalie coming out the box like to defend the space behind the back line and out the box so went for it with a header and like successfully executed that action and it went out for a throw in and I thought that was an interesting idea that like you can coach your goalie to to do that um final thing I'll say um just on on goalkeeping which I think is it's funny like for a while there's lots of stuff maybe it's not actually as prevalent as, as I think it is, but I do think that enough coaches are thinking about like rondos and how to use rondos. And just because we see Guardiola use rondos, does that mean we have to use them in the same way? Uh, they flashed a slide up and I thought about how you could use rondos, but for goalies to get loads of like smothering and blocking and diving practice. So you basically imagine you have six players and you want your four players out, two players in. Those two players in the middle are goalkeepers who can use their hands. I think that could be really, really good. I think you might get lots of different types of goalkeeping actions just from the fact that they can that they can play with their hands. Um, maybe as like a kind of smothering or spreading leading activity. Um, I'm going to try that next next time I've got a session on either of those things. I think I think that could look really cool. Um, yeah, that's it really. I I'm I'm certain that I want to do the goalie B license. Applications for that open in April. From chatting to the tutors, I feel like I'd be in a decent position to apply to to get on that. Um, particularly in the kind of context of the coaching work that I'm doing specifically with goalkeepers at the moment. So I'm I'm hopeful that 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 might be in my not too distant future. Um, and then obviously I'd have a outfield and goalie B license hopefully by the end of 2023 which would be fantastic um, not only from a learning perspective but I guess you know I can't ignore the fact that I'm basically doing this to become more eligible and a qualified candidate for, for some of these um, bigger more 
you know, more full time, more salaried um, roles at football clubs. So really, really exciting. Um, I'm not, I, I just don't know if anyone appreciates how big a job it is coaching goalkeepers. Um, so yeah, if you're a goalie coach and you listen to this, I think you're brilliant. Um, and there's a load of there's a load of goalkeeper coaching work to be done. Um, and the bits that I'm doing, I'm really really enjoying. Um, and I'm looking to take on some some more in the new year. Um, so yeah, that's part one on the national goalie course. Part two will be a bit more in depth about a couple of teams in the World Cup. Right, it's half time in uh, in France, Denmark. I'm looking at this from a from a France perspective, so there's not much Denmark detail here, really. A um, couple of things, I guess, out of possession for France. Griezmann and Giroud look to me like they're trying to stop Hoiberg from being able to get the ball from the centre backs and do much with it. Um, I don't know whether they've been really good at doing that or whether Denmark just like haven't been good enough at trying to like play f- through the middle. Um don't really know if that's that's a like a, a game plan for them particularly. Um Griezmann is he's extremely active. That's the only way I can describe it. Like he's picking the ball up off of Giroud but he's also like available to kind of play those sort of like kind of pressure breaking passes deep in his own half either out to Hernandez on the left I think he's had a couple out that side um, and then one out to uh, to Kunde out on the right as well um, main thing out of possession I think is that like Giroud and Mbappe have little to zero interest in trying to apply any pressure on the ball so the Denmark centre-backs Christensen in particular just seems to kind of be able to it's not even really walk it's like it's like meander kind of past the past that line where Giroud is um as Giroud drops and he's kind of like around the around the halfway line um which is I think probably it would look different if uh if Benzema's in there maybe but then also like Mbappe's like as kind of physically he's got as close a physical as as closer to an like an optimal physical profile for pressing as you could imagine and he like don't fancy it either so so maybe that doesn't change too much um Hernandez is quite deep when they're when they're defending he's kind of like in that line with the center backs Mbappe's like, walking back so Rabio slides out to kind of cover that wide left area might might cause cause France some trouble down that side just in terms of that being quite a big space for one of the midfielders to get out and deal with um and yeah I guess they've kind of like the that chance where it led to a yellow card where they created that counter attack on the edge of their box I think it kind of drops to Griezmann a couple of touches outside of the left foot brilliant pass through to Mbappe and he gets brought down by Christensen yellow card free kick um, that's a that to me is like that's where that your counter attack starts as soon as you get possession of the ball like you have to have control of it in order to create an attack um, Josh was always so big on that and it's like he's right it's spot on um, when they're when they're building it's so funny watching Lloris just like continue to not be brilliant at playing out like his passing is just it's just not very good and it makes it difficult for France I think to try and to try and do too much that that uh, there was a sequence though where he just went up to Giroud Giroud so so good at getting getting contact and like but I think there's one thing to like win a header there's another one to like just put it exactly where you want it to go like Griezmann so Lloris plays it long Giroud kind of knocks it down Griezmann picks it up and just fires it out to Mbappe on the left. I think that that could really lead to something because they can kind of get players around Giroud so that they 
like make sure they keep possession there and then Mbappe's got time and space for, I mean for him, relative isn't it he's got for him he's got time and space even though there's a defender in front of him to like pick up that that speed as he drives into the box and comes inside on his right Ali McCoy's made that point a couple of times just like those like first like three steps he is frighteningly good um frighteningly fast um when they're building up France, Hernandez and Kunde are kind of like level with the midfielders. There's one sequence that's like stuck in my head where it went from Varane into Giroud and Giroud, his like pass to drop the ball off to Kunde was almost like a like a sideways pass. So he was like facing his own goal and he played it, I think, out to his left, so out to the France right. Um, so Kunde's pretty high. Dembele's been really, really good. Crosses with both feet. Um, into the area he's tracked back quite a lot Kunde's supporting him coming up and down um, if they create anything I feel like it is is going to be as a result of the them having like a threat and possession um, wide which might open up the middle um, but we will see we will see the world champions the first side to put their place in the round of 16, thanks to a virtuoso display by the jet-propelled Kylian Mbappe. Oh, that livened up a bit. I, I really enjoyed that second half. That is the first game other than an England game that I've sat down live and watched from start to finish. Really, really good. Uh, what well on France. Pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, I wouldn't say like total control, but I also don't feel like they set out to completely control the game in terms of having the ball. Um, definitely areas where they look vulnerable. I'm not sure about them in either fullback spot defending those defending those wide areas. Denmark were able to create just from kind of having someone wide. Um, and then either play that kind of diagonal pass over the left shoulder of the left back to a runner um, or just like get it out to the side and then into uh, Hoiberg or Damsgaard and then Damsgaard went off, Dolberg came on. Um, I thought Brathwaite threatened a fair bit when he came on, but uh, that was only the first kind of 10, 12 minutes of the game. Um Main takeaways from that game for me, I think, well, do you remember that bit in in the last Harry Potter when they all take Apologies Potion to transport Harry from the Dursley's house to the burrow and turns out that Voldemort can fly and they're all like, he can fly. Oh, he can fly. I feel like that about Griezmann like Griezmann can defend he can actually defend like he was tracking and putting tackles in and like helping regain the ball and secure the ball with passes really really impressed with him um, right if we go through this kind of chronologically stuff I got written down <laughs> Ali McCoy was going mad at Giroud for kind of running across Mbappe's path when he has a he has a shot left footed, he kind of gets it on the left, sort of comes inside, but not really. Takes him just inside, level the edge of the box, but has a shot left footed. And I, I think I know what he was saying, Ali McCoy. He kind of you you want like your best player, best dribbler, best attacker to be left one v one in those sorts of situations. But I thought Mbappe would carry on going inside, and therefore Giroud had actually made a pretty decent run to open up some some space for him that's the sort of stuff where I think he's actually not bad Giroud um, same with like I mean if it were Benzema I imagine it would be those sorts of movements and runs would be would be pretty similar um, Griezmann was like uh, that was one he ran in behind for and got uh, he got a little bit of space and it kind of popped up and he volleyed it that you could have that could have been the 2018 World Cup in terms of him running in behind. That was that was really really good. Um, I thought Kunde 
had one one instance where he defended really really well he was like facing diagonally inside like facing forwards diagonally inside from the right back spot but he the ball got played played through and he had to kind of turn his body whilst defending in order to cut the pass out and he he did that I was pretty impressed um so it's nil nil at this point just after the hour um little combination down the left and Mbappe gives France the lead Fernandez does the exact same thing but at the right time tremendous he makes that run what, and what it does it probably allows the option for Mbappe to come inside the right foot but he gives him it knowing that Hernandez will give him it back he gives him it back to finish his superb he did have some some good moments Hernandez in terms of helping out um but that was that was a really nice combination I'm not sure how you how you defend Mbappe he is really really he's just so dangerous all the time uh and then for a kind of a second it looked like like France were about to really really start to control things um they took Giroud off brought Turam on I don't know if that had a huge impact on the way they played particularly um Chouameni had a couple of couple of moments where he was just like able to take the ball from being pretty deep and get help get France out and up the pitch I think he had a like a first-time volley from a throw-in on the right-hand side, just straight out to the left, which was really, really good. Um, but yeah, same what I said about Hernandez going forward. He he did look in a bit of in a bit of trouble, and just before Denmark scored, Rabiot said in the first half he was kind of shuffling out to help defend that left side because Mbappe stays pretty high. He was quite slow to react to. To a pass um, leads to a corner, and then Denmark equalise. Choose the corner, John, didn't they? He choose the corner, put it to forward area for flick on. The last few going back post, back stick. Excellent delivery. Flick on into that area. That really dangerous area at the back post. But Andreas Christensen attacks. Excellent goal. Well worked. What I say. And then we're thinking, okay, game on. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I, I, I basically don't know if France even particularly tried tried particularly hard to win that game. I think they just did because, like, it was a great, great cross from Griezmann and really, you know, smart from Mbappe. Mbappe is just so quick; he can like play, he can play inside. What I mean by that is like he can be in that like inside sort of channel for bits of build up, so they'll play into his feet and he'll set the ball, or he'll like try and receive it narrow. But he'll also he's so fast that he can receive it narrow, pass, and then like be outside to collect it. He had like a one-two where he's like sprinting into space to receive it in the like widest channel after playing inside, and he just like flies by Anderson. Um, so yeah, really, really impressed. Uh, some interesting subs in terms of like the kind of impact I thought they might have on the game. Like Kanate for Varane. I mean, Kanate and Upamecano. Like that is some pairing. Look, moving forward um, for France. Coman uh, Dembele. Dembele, I thought was outstanding. Um, but yeah, without and then for Fana for Griezmann, without like. That was after the goal. Without really having, I couldn't see anyway a particularly like kind of coherent plan for building up or playing out. Um, they they weren't they weren't really great at that. I don't think, um, but they still had some times where they were able to get everyone either on the halfway line or just into their own half. 
Um, anyway, second goal comes down that right-hand side. Coman gets into a really, really good area close to the byline. And Griezmann does really, really well to like identify that that's a moment to be available to support as opposed to like being a runner on the running from the edge of the box or like being um in the box um so Griezmann kind of goes over to support Coman gets on the ball crosses it um and Mbappe great run at the back post and puts him 2-1 up oh, he works his movement his movement's incredible he moves actually just as Griezmann gets the ball and watch them for this angle and as soon as Griezmann takes the ball, moves on his left foot, and Bappe moves in behind the defender. Was either Christensen or Anderson? I'm not sure which one it is. What was it? That clarified. But he's not even looking at the ball. He moves as soon as the ball goes under the left foot to get his little bit of half yard of pace. And after that, I don't know if there was much to to really notice about about the game. I think. The comparison which I'll do with with Germany is an interesting one just because kind of nominally these teams play the same formation. Um, like kind of identifiable holding midfielders with um, someone who's going to be further forward. Um, but yeah, France, I would say nowhere near their best, but still good enough to beat a team that got to the semi-final of the Euros. Um, so yeah, thoroughly enjoyable game. Uh, some interesting bits to, to pick out of it. Um, but more more from France to come, I imagine. If we then sort of shift and start to, to think about Germany and have a kind of a, I guess a look ahead to that Spain game, I'm really, really looking forward to that tomorrow um, as I record this. Um so I've just gone back and, and re-watched the Germany-Japan highlights, like extended highlights, and then also some bits of analysis. I think there's quite a lot to to consider. Um, if we just think about some like comparisons with with France, like both normally set up in a 4-2-3-1, but Germany in that Japan game, pretty, I guess, early kind of identified that the best way for them to play out and to have the ball when they had like 81% of the ball in the first half 74 I think overall so they it, it it worked in that sense was to to line up with three against the like one plus one of the Japan um that front line and and, and midfielder so the two Japan attackers who were kind of locked on to um, actually, no. They, well, they weren't looked on. They were kind of screening or in front of. But, but uh, I guess whose job it was to affect Gundogan Kimmich um, were kind of left with some questions to answer when Germany dropped Gundogan or Kimmich in to go and pick the ball up between the two centre backs, um, and that worked pretty effectively. Like sort of to the point where Germany basically went to a to a back three. Um and Sula who had been able to kind of get time and space on the ball basically becomes the right centre back. Um Gundogan becomes the middle centre back. Um and and that was like that was pretty effective in terms of getting them up. Like the the chances I guess and the um the stuff that leads to the penalty where they score from, like Sula has so much time and space on the ball, um, and they're able to to work it out onto the left where Realm's got the 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 ability as well as the kind of license, I guess, to just occupy that that side. Musiala and Havertz and Muller are all asking questions about like who's going to mark them. Um, which opens up a load of space for for Gundogan, um, and he's so good at like just being an all-round midfielder. Like he can attack space, he can control a game from deep, he can just just do everything. Kimmich as well in the middle is just just brilliant, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they score more goals like that from from 
being able to play out, switch it, but just like the constant like movement and like the just overall ability of Musiala and Havertz and Muller are so so difficult to defend against. Um, yeah, I mean, like going through the kind of big big moments in that game, like Muller has that big left-handed save low to his left. Um, I said I was going to think about comparisons between the goalies. Like, I think he's just a he's able to make saves that Lloris isn't. Lloris had a couple today, but they're I mean fairly straightforward. Um, whereas Muller, I think, really can like keep you in a game, can help you win a game. Um, yeah, he. It's it's funny thinking about Muller now. Like on my B license, we looked at some clips of him, kind of. 2014 where it it was it was remarkable seeing how far he would come out of his box to to play um whereas now we're just kind of used to it um and they're just able to to be be confident in him in a way I'm not entirely convinced that um that France are uh with Lloris Anyway, Germany like the back line seems to be that's the 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 weak point. Um just watched some stuff with um Didi Harman and he was saying like they kind of have left uh Hummels out and they've brought players who haven't really played as much and that really um was kind of evident in the second half um against Japan. Like Japan's second half, they had eleven shots. They did a lot better I guess than the than the first half but the yeah I mean I, I just think Germany were incredibly unlucky uh in that game and it wasn't really anything other than like a like that second goal the Asano goal for Japan is amazing like I know it's not great not a great line from the Germany back line to allow that pass to lead to anything but like the touch is brilliant and then a big second touch the xg on that finish is 0.09 japan had 1.33 xg overall germany had 3.53 so i think they're just unlucky in that sense i don't think they should be looking to change like an awful lot in terms of going into that next game this is literally where like football's so brilliant that like you can create better chances than your opposition you can restrict them to fewer chances than you create but you can still lose um, and I think for me the tough thing for Germany is like they've got to go and play Spain now um, and while Spain were obviously brilliant against Costa Rica Costa Rica um, are nowhere near the level of Germany like Germany are definitely going to beat Costa Rica when they play them um, it's, it's tricky for Germany now because just like you, you have to go and play Spain um, and I think there's there's a like there's definitely a scenario in that game where Germany have more um, possession of the ball. Like I, I think like Spain are obviously really really good at that, and they're able to be incisive. But they were able to do that against a team that didn't make it particularly hard for them. Germany, I think, have a really really good chance to win that game. Um, Musiala I, on I think it was on Stadio they said. Musiala and Bellingham are going to be like the midfield version of Haaland and Mbappe, which, I mean, having watched Musiala a bit this year and like seeing some of the stuff he can do, like that's not that's not too outlandish. I don't think like he's outstanding. Um, the question I think is, are they going to be able to like threaten enough to offset? the nature of their kind of shaky shaky backline because Spain are going to progress the ball and they're going to get into areas and try and stay there um, and just sort of like I guess value being in the Germany half or around the Germany box and keeping possession which is obviously really really difficult to do but they're technically good enough to do it um, yeah it's going to be it's going to be a brilliant game. That's tomorrow at seven. I'm I'm really looking forward to to watching that. But I think Germany could, they could win that. I think they really, really could. 
Um, I know it's tricky and narratives and tournaments and all that sort of stuff. A, po- a, a point against, I guess, a point against Spain, and then you beat Costa Rica. Hope that Spain beat Japan. Spain's got goal difference is obviously amazing, but I think Spain are obviously going through Japan on the kind of evidence of what Costa Rica were like against Spain should beat them. So Germany could find themselves going out having been pretty good um, and having a really, really good team. Um, But we'll see. I mean, like, this is where I think it was fun to consider these comparisons because purely on results, like, France are flying. Obviously, they've won their second game, but they sort of have had an easier group, whereas um, Germany haven't. Um, And this could quite feasibly be turned into a big you know germany flop um no backbone no leaders all that sort of stuff when they've actually been quite good i thought but there we go um hope you've enjoyed this bit of a different one um this tournament is picking up i think i'm gradually getting more and more excited and being interested in watching all these different games um and yeah next week we'll we'll have a guest on and uh and we'll go we'll go from there. Um, make sure you let people know if you're enjoying the pod. I'm loving doing it. Um, but it's nice seeing um like getting messages from people saying they're watching it or um or they've told people about it. That's brilliant. Um and also like when I look up like where it's being played, it's like it is mad to see streams like across the world. Um and like this isn't this isn't just like my friends listening, I don't think, which is really, really nice. Uh, but yeah, thanks a lot. And I'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>